0: Good evening and welcome back to Kingdom One Hundred One. One. And we're going to resume our series or our teaching through the book of Matthew. You know that for the past couple of weeks, we've been journeying through not just the Sermon on the Mount, but we have been camping on this topic of prayer. And more specifically, Jesus teaching how not to pray first. And after that, teaching his disciples, in this manner, you shall pray. So we've been at the Lord's Prayer, or personally, like I said, I love to call it the Disciples' Prayer, that this is a prayer for us, that we don't just memorize it to be able to pray it by heart, but at least we understand the significance of this prayer. What is the perspective? What is the focus of this Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, and really is the Kingdom's Prayer. And so that's what we've been doing, and I want to invite you, pray this prayer with me. And as we do that, let's declare this from the depths of our heart as we petition our Father with these kingdom points. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We realize that the disciples' prayer is not merely a petition for personal needs or for personal protection. It is a prayer that really, if you delve deeply into it, it sees things from the perspective of the kingdom of God. It is a prayer that aligns the disciple with the purposes of the kingdom of course we see that we begin by addressing God our father as well as our king and we say all that is happening in heaven we we have that desire to see this same thing take place on earth and we are asking also for the coming of the fullness of his kingdom and when we ask for the kingdom we pray for the outworking of his will But even as we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we acknowledge that God executes His will through His kingdom servants and ambassadors, and that's you and I, that's all of us. And we're saying, Lord, it starts with us, you know, tell us what our assignments are so that we can be about these faithfully and obediently. And last week, we looked at this title, Provision for the Mission, believing that As we move on assignment for God and for His kingdom, it can be an amen, a yes and amen, that God will provide the resources and the provisions uh, required for all of us. So having gone through all that, I suppose now you know, we've got provision, you know, we've got kingdom prayer, we, we, we say this is the will, and if we know our assignment, then, then we can go, right? <laughs> we can just chung forward and, and be good people of God and fulfill all our assignments. But this week, we're going to look at one line, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And over this weekend, the next session, when we're looking at this portion, we realize that there are things that that can derail us, things that can hold us back from actually serving the kingdom effectively and productively. And as we look at this one line, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, the, the title tonight is really The Debt Trap. There are many people with a good heart, with a good intention, and they want to serve God. But I think you have realized it also that quite a few people, and ourselves included, we want to take steps forward. We, we want to get out there and, and do our assignments and do our thing. But something holds us back. And we don't realize that we're actually trapped. And there are a lot of people who take two steps forward and one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And it's totally frustrating, and they don't understand why. They don't get very far. Tonight, let me suggest to you that many people and many Christians are trapped, are trapped in this debt. This What is debt? They're trapped in this debt of unforgiveness. So we're going to unpack this line. Jesus says, pray it this way, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. Now how important is this one line? As you know, The Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, each of these lines, they are really summary statements. And that's why we can spend a whole hour or two just unpacking this one line. It's a summary statement. And you realize also that this is the only part of the prayer that almost immediately Jesus will emphasize. That in verse 14 and 15, the moment He finished, that yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Amen. And then he goes on. For if you forgive men their trespasses. Somehow he he repeats. It's like a postscript. It's like, did you hear this? (laughs) Let, Let me say this again, just in case you missed it. And it's recorded there in the next two verses of 14 and 15. Exactly the same thing. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you look in the book of Luke, in chapter 11, verse 4, it words it a little bit differently, but the same points it's made. And forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now this must be quite important because in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus in teaching about Victorious prayer in chapter 11 of Mark, verses 25 and 26, he says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. So that, there's a reason why he's saying this, So that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Oh, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, this is how important it is that Jesus would repeat it, not just once, not just twice, three times, and He says it over and over again. In other words, if your prayer is a little bit ineffective, you're not really wondering, and you're, or, or you're wondering, oh, something is not sort of connecting. Why? What's the problem? Maybe we need to look at this point, because Jesus teaches about forgiveness in the context of prayer. Of course, now we look at this and we say, okay, fine, I I think it's important. I think, you know, Jesus said it over and over again, but it's important, but is it relevant? Now, you would presume that it would be. But there are people who are now saying that, look, it's, it's no longer relevant for New Covenant Christians. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, this is no longer relevant. And if you still look at this, oh, this is under the law. Right? This is under the law. That's why you have to do something so that God can then do something. You have to forgive first so that God can then forgive you. Oh, that's law. That's all covenant. Besides, this is Jesus before He went to the cross. And so they say this is pre-cross. Now, after the cross, all your sins have been forgiven already. Past, present, and future. Now, because it's all forgiven, do you need to ask for forgiveness anymore? No need to ask for forgiveness. So is it relevant then? You see, this is the question that I think is important. Because if it's not, then I think we can end the teaching here. And we can all go home. But do you realize that there are two parts to this verse? We read that the first part, forgive our debts, is actually conditional upon the second one. Now, if the first part is no longer needed, then therefore the second part is no longer needed. Does this sound a bit odd to you? But if the first part is needed, then the second part is needed. You need to see this in totality. Is this verse relevant? And I think this way we need to study this more carefully and understand this with the right perspective. Let's go to a parable which Jesus told in answer to Peter's question. We know this parable in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. This is called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter asks the question, how many times must we forgive? How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he answers the same question with a question he asked the Lord, "Uh, up to seven times? Do I need to do it up to seven times? Now, interesting, note this. You realize Peter actually knew that he had to forgive. He knew; otherwise, he would say, you know, zero times." We actually say up to seven times, but he was actually being uh, a little re- ritualistic and also fairly r- realistic. A bit ritualistic because the rabbis were teaching that you must you must forgive three times. For some people, one time already very very difficult. So one, two, three times. Uh, by rabbinic teaching, quite good. So Peter maybe was trying to be very generous with the, sta- uh, with the statement, you know, and said, well, seven, ah. I'll give you seven. Ah, so let me just extend that. But I cannot keep forgiving, right? Quite realistic, huh? I think many people ask us even this same question. Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 not, not seven times. Seventy times seven. If you were Peter, I think your jaw would have dropped to the floor. And they hello, are, are you sure? You're kidding me, right? Seventy times seven. And if you look at the number of sevens down there, it's almost like a double perfection, right? Seven is like, it's a, it's a perfection number. Not just perfect, but doubly perfect. But symbolically, I think Jesus was really saying to him, forgive until that forgiveness is complete. It's not the number of times that you have to count if you, if you do it ritualistically, you can do it a thousand times, nothing is going to happen. And later on, you'll see that Jesus would also say in the same phrase, but in a different way with the words, if you forgive from the heart. So be as perfect as you can in this forgiveness. You want to bring it to a point where it is complete. That's what the number com- completion is about. Then he goes on, he says, and he talks about the parable. He says, in the kingdom of God, it's like a, like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And there was one servant who owed the master 10,000 talents. Now, talents is a denomination. It's a, it's a money. Okay, it talks about resources down here. And just understand that the word talent is just the largest denomination in the Roman Empire. 10,000 was the biggest number in the Greek language. And I think symbolically what this means is that Jesus is saying, this guy owed the master a lot. A lot, a lot, until you, you can't even put enough zeros down there. And there was no way, there was no way that this guy was able to pay. And not only was his life at stake, it also affected his wife and his children. That's how bad it was. But you know the parable, how it went. The king listened to this guy. He was, he was begging, right? He just said, okay, please, please, you know, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now think about this. And the king listening to this or the master listening to this and like, you, you're not going to be able to do this. I mean, come on, right? you, you can beg to the cows come home. You can work how many lifetimes is not going to happen. And so the master of that servant was moved with compassion. And he released him and forgave him the debt. Now we know the first part. So what does this guy do? He's happy now. He's set free, right? He goes out there and he finds his friend and this guy owes him a hundred denarii. Now, denarii versus talent, 100 versus 10,000, Jesus was just showing this whole contrast. The first servant owed a lot compared to this guy. His friend, the other servant, owed him very little. Very little. 100 days wages, nothing way compared to what he would have owed the master. This servant, his friend, used the same words. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And very likely, he possibly could have done it in in some way, in some time. But we are told that this servant, he said he would not. He would not. And he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. As we look at these two responses, one where the master released and the other one where the servant chose not to release and we look at the contrast of one having owed so much and other one owing just a little bit. We have to ask ourselves this first question. Who forgave first? Who released first? And the answer is very obvious. Obviously, the, the master was the one who released. The master made the first move and he expected the servant to follow his example. This is what we must not miss. Now, when we think back to the Lord's Prayer, or the disciples' prayer, and when we read that one line, who appears to have to forgive first? It appears as if we need to do the forgiving first, and then God will then forgive us, right? Forgive us as we forgive others. Now, if you only read that, out of its context without knowing the other teachings of Jesus and miss the consistency of our Lord and our Master, then we missed the whole picture and we missed the whole lesson. But understanding this now, that the Master made the first move. The Master was the one who forgave and expected the servant to do the same. Now once we understand the teachings of Jesus, we can understand it better than that in the Lord's Prayer, it is also God who also would have made the first move. See, when Jesus was teaching the people of Israel, do you think they would have experienced God's forgiveness already? Do you think that they would have already known God's love? Of course they do. They've got more history than the Gentiles who have had at that point in time with God. God has always made the first move. It's almost taken as read. Jesus didn't even have to state that at all. You see, if we read with the wrong lens, if we see with the wrong perspective, then we make the wrong assumption and it doesn't sit well with us. So we look at the Lord's prayer, or the disciples' prayer, and we say, oh, that was pre-cross. But Matthew 18 is also pre-cross. Ma. If you want to cancel one, you got to cancel both. What? The Master made the first move. And similarly... God has always made the first move. He forgave first. Isn't it the same for us? He loved us and He provided forgiveness to the world through the work of Jesus upon the cross. And faith appropriates that forgiveness and that pardon. We're told in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Anyone who comes to God first knows that our balance sheet uh, is a terrible picture. All right, it's a really bad balance sheet and it's not in our favor at all. But God is the one who says, if you would believe me, if you would see what Christ has done for you, and if you see how I would release you from all these debt that you owe me, which is your sin, consider it done. It's taken away. Totally. Totally. Because He knows we cannot repay. We cannot repay. Not at all. Israel couldn't repay. Not in one lifetime, two generations, three generations. To all generations, they could never repay because God brought them out. By grace. Amen? You see, God has always made the first move and we mustn't miss that. We cannot read that one line and think, oh, we must do first move and then God will then love us or God will forgive us. See, once we understand that and we look at this one line, it's a different perspective. And let me help you a little bit here. If you allow me some, some creative license. I know the Bible says that we're not supposed to add words to the Scripture, right? but I'm just going to add one line to make it a little bit clearer for us. After that, you can erase it, Ken. I think it's easier for us to understand this line or these two lines and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors if we read it this way. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors as you have forgiven us. Because it starts with God. Everything starts with God. It's very consistent if you look at the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says the same thing that he tells the church in Ephesus, You must forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ. Forgave you, so you also must do. Can you see this? That line that I've added for us, and you can put it in brackets for your own understanding, is that precursor to everything. As God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. Look at that little word called "s." God has already set the example for us to follow. So we are to forgive as God has forgiven. We we can't do this on our own. If there's no example to follow, we we don't know what to do. By ourselves, it's very hard to forgive. We have to look at how God has already forgiven and then we learn from that example of how to forgive. Now, that's not the only S, right? We see another S down there. So... Now we're saying, okay, God, now you forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And so now God turns the tables around and he says, okay, fine. I've set you example now. So now let me follow your example to see how well you've learned from my example. Can you see this? Isn't that an interesting way of, of, of understanding this verse? God has already forgiven us. He says, now you follow my lead. Now how do I know whether you know how to follow my lead? Or not? Let me let me watch you and see how well you do it. And let me put a condition in there so that I can then assess you based on how well you have been following me. So when we look at this in this whole picture, we then see and understand that the first line, forgive our debts, it's not justification forgiveness. It's sanctification forgiveness. It's not forgiveness for salvation. Because that's already been done. We are already saved. But as we continue in our walk, do we still sin? Yes, we do. And as we still sin, do we need forgiveness for that sin? Yes, we do. And that's why we ask God, please forgive us. It's a sanctification forgiveness, it's not justification forgiveness. Now some will say, but Jesus has paid the entire debt for us. And that is true. He died once for all for sin. But this is how I understand it, and I want to submit this to you, and I want you to challenge it, and even to process this for yourself. He has paid the entire debt. And for my past sins, until the point of salvation, when I come to the point of believing Jesus, I am justified. Those past sins are wiped away totally, completely. He said, Oh, but how about the, the, the forward sins? How about the future sins? I said, Well, that's been paid for, it's been provided for. And I call this like a prepaid account. You can draw down from that because that, that debt has been paid. You draw down from it. How? Through repentance. You say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm wrong. Please help me. I believe that Jesus died for me. Done. You see, and repentance is needed because you, you need an acknowledgement of that sin so that you can be aware of that, that you will not then return to that sin. It's not the teaching that we are hearing a little bit more these days that is past, present, future. You don't have to worry anymore about it. I don't worry because it's been provided for. But in my sanctification walk, it is important for me to know how to draw down from that. And it makes me aware so that I can live more circumspectly. And here this evening, when we are looking at this teaching, as we ask for this forgiveness, God is saying, okay, fine, no problem with that. It's already been done for you. But I want to watch and see how you forgive others before I forgive you of this aspect. And I'll cover that in a little while more when we talk about why should God even hold something against us you know, if He loves us and He wants to clear this entire debt for us. See, there are many people who don't understand this, and that's why we think, oh, we don't have to forgive anyone. So we just hold on to this whole thing, and then we end up being really trapped, and we also end up being tortured. Let's go back to the parable in Matthew chapter 18, verses 34 and 35. The Master, when he found out this servant refused, He refused to forgive this servant, refused to follow the example or the lead of his master. The Bible records his master was angry. Now, imagine this, from an act of grace, of compassion, it swings now to anger. And delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, these are one of those lines that we don't want to underline, right? In the Bible, okay? But I think I tell people, love the blessings, but heed the warnings, Obviously, Jesus must have told this parable for good reason. Listen, uh, the master was angry. He was displeased with this servant. And he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Suddenly, something is reinstated to this servant. Now, that boggles us because we, we, we don't see it that way. But the next verse is interesting because Jesus explains. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. How clear can Jesus be, right? He says, release it because you've already been forgiven. If you have not been forgiven, I won't hold it against you. But if you've already been forgiven, you need to learn this. So that, It will help you in your walk of sanctification and in your growth. And so we have a trap. We're held back to this, okay? We're held back because of unforgiveness. And isn't it true that holding a debt against others causes ourselves to be trapped in our own debt? And often the one who has offended us doesn't even have a clue what is going on if people have sinned against us, people have spoken things against us, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it may not be. But as long as we hold on to unforgiveness, we hold on to this offense, we end up being trapped and we end up being tortured. Just think about it for a while. I think we've all experienced that in some way or another. And meanwhile, we are fuming and we're getting upset about how we've been wronged and, you know, we we think we're correct. But we don't realize we are being trapped and we are being tortured. Now, God is not the one torturing us. He's saying, look, I've given you that freedom. I've told you already, all you need to do, release this guy, you know, and as you pray, it's done. It's done. Just release this guy. Oh, you won't? Okay, then let me just hang on to it for a while. I love you so much. This is how much I love you, okay? I love you. And I need you to learn this because it's for your good. You need to experience what true freedom is. I've already bought this for you. Can you see this? And that's why there has to be a condition there because without the condition, we won't learn. We won't understand. And as we do this, we are really not walking in the ways of God. And truly, as we sin against God in this aspect, we open a huge doorway for the enemy to come and steal, to kill, and to destroy. I say again, huh? God is not the one doing the torturing. Huh? He delivers us to the torturing. that sense, or he, he allows whatever that is needful, so that whatever happens to us would force us and turn us back to God and say, "God, you win. You, 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 you know what's right. I should have listened to you from day one." And this aspect of unforgiveness is so clearly demonstrated these days through the many ailments, the many illnesses. The many psychosomatic disorders that many people are experiencing, right? People who are offended, they get hurt, they are, they are wounded. It starts to play in their mind. Ever been there? Okay, I can confess to you, there are times where, where things begin to play in my mind, and, and I cannot sleep. I cannot sleep. I'm tired. I'm tired. I cannot concentrate. I cannot concentrate. The next day, I'm, I'm crabby, and I'm screaming at someone else. And I'm scolding another person. Yes? Nobody wants to say Amen. I mean, come on. Are we tortured or are we tortured? And then in the meantime, we're praying, oh Lord, give me that breakthrough. Oh Lord, no, I bind this. Oh Lord, I bind it. And God is looking at us and saying, wait, wait, wait. I already told you, it's done. Release. Oh, 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 the battle belongs to you, oh Lord. Oh Lord, send this person away. Oh Lord, just release. You have a root of bitterness, anger comes out, hatred begins. It, uh, th- thankfully, we, we don't kill people down here. Then you're angry, you get upset, high blood pressure, or stress. After you get stressed, migraine, and you go for healing. God is saying, come on, I've given, it's done. Release. Forgive. Can, Can you understand? The moment you do that, it's done. Oh Lord, it's by faith. Yes, believe me when I tell you, Release. See, we we go around in circles and we say, oh no, this verse is not needed anymore. And there's so many people who are suffering because of this and Jesus has given us the answer. You get migraine, you get stroke, some people get heart attack. I'm not saying everything is attributed to unforgiveness, okay? So please watch what you eat too. Emotional disorders. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, everybody is against me. Low esteem, identity crisis, fear, depression rheumatoid arthritis. Wow, you get so upset until your bones can't move. You know, everything is all stuck. Your muscles are not performing in the way that it it should be. Uh, Cancer starts to feed on it. And all this while, God is saying, I've given you the answer. Jesus has paid for it. But I want you to grow, my child. I need you to grow. This is what it's all about. If we miss this picture, then it's a different kind of understanding of victorious faith. and all, you know? There's a place for healing. I'm not saying there isn't. There's a place for so many of these things. But not everything is attributed to this, and so not everything can be healed in that way. If you want to walk with God's ways, then follow what He's shared with us and taught us. And meanwhile, our friend Satan is, okay, a friend, I mean, uh, sarcastic, okay, is taking full advantage of this, right? He's happy. I mean, it's like, oh, playground. Giving us all kinds of crazy teachings and, you know, half-baked kind of, of, of doctrine to tell you that you don't even have to worry about this anymore. And he's taking full advantage. Let me read this, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, huh? Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Now, you you better know this context, right? In the earlier letter, Paul had asked this um, church to to sort of uh, cut ties with someone, right? If this person does not repent, if this person continues in his sin. But later on in this letter, he writes back, he says, now, obviously, forgive this guy. Okay, if he has has shown remorse and there's restoration that's needed, forgive him. Now, whom you forgive, now I also forgive. Now, what's this got to do with Paul? He's somewhere in another city, right? another place. He says, whom you forgive, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes, the body of Christ, in the presence of Christ, lest, lest, Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Yeah, I think the church doesn't understand this guy called Satan. You you don't know our enemy. He's happy to play in your mind, in your situation, as long as you allow him to do that. And Satan takes full advantage of the unforgiver as well as the unforgiven to break the body of Christ through offenses. And so what do we have in the church? We have complaints, we have murmurs, we have gossips, we have slanders. We sow discord amongst the brethren. We have hypocrisy. We have mistrust. We have suspicion. Why don't we just learn from what Jesus is saying to us? As Christ has forgiven us, we forgive others so that we can be released, that we can grow. Amen? Satan is very happy. In Africa, you have this thing about catching monkeys. And this is a picture of this monkey that has been caught. And the way they catch monkeys is that they, they put a bait, either in a cage or in a jar like you see here. And the bait is usually too big to be taken out. But the monkey would be happy to put his hand in, grab hold of that bait, and not be able to remove his clenched fist with, the, with whatever he has grabbed. And he can't come out, He's trapped. And the point here is don't be the devil's monkey, where you're holding on to to offense, where you're holding on to hurts and bitterness, and you can't get out. And meanwhile, you're going, Oh, Lord, what's my assignment? Oh, oh Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, let's go make disciples. And you're stuck. Oh, you're trying to drag this jar along, kikong, 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 kikong. And you're you're trying to move as quickly as you can, but you just can't because you are trapped and you're not freed up to do what God wants you to be doing. And so I call this this dead trap. I want you to see this picture because if you are this character, let me not call you monkey, I want you to be set free tonight, amen? I want you to release because God has a better way. God has a better way. It's called forgiveness. And someone has said it this way. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free to discover that the prisoner was you. We always think, you know, I, I don't let go. I die also don't let go. Or oh, you say it like that, huh? this kind of vow, uh, better break. Uh, huh. Don't say things like that, okay? Because really you will die. You will die a slow death. It's painful. God has a better way. He's already demonstrated to us so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. But before we get into what forgiveness is, I think we need to clear up some misperceptions of what forgiveness is, that we can see what forgiveness is not first. Forgiveness is something we speak a lot of in the church, and it sort of of like rolls off our tongue sometimes. And there are times when I counsel someone or give advice, and before I can even say it, this person says, Yeah, 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 I know, forgive, Lord. I know, I know, I must must forgive, must, must, must forgive. You know, it's almost like so irritating that you have to tell me that. But what is forgiveness? Let's look at what forgiveness is not first. Very quickly, you can see this list, um, you know, on certain websites or. You can Google it and find it. I got this from Mark Driscoll. He's a good teacher. said that certain things happened to him. He's a good teacher, and these points are still valid, so I want to share these with you. Forgiveness is not approving, diminishing, enabling, or denial of sin. Sometimes when someone has sinned against us, and especially when it's a very, very big deal, sometimes we think, oh, we, we, we we have to sort of gloss over it you know, sort of undermine that sin, you know, sort of uh, paint it over, you know, deny that it was actually sin in the first place. Oh, nothing, it's okay, it's okay, you know, sort of sweep it under the carpet kind of Acknowledge it was a sin. This was what he did. This is what she did. This is what he said. I was upset by that. It's okay to acknowledge what the sin is. It's not about enabling sin in that you're, you're afraid that if I forgive, then he will take advantage and sin some more. Have you heard that before? Always, when I counsel couples, let's say, for example, the husband is caught in in pornography and she says, I know I have to forgive, but every time I forgive, he sins some more. It's like giving him more license to sin. Say, no, if a man watches porn, then forgive him, but acknowledge that's a sin with him, seek counsel, get help. See, our problem is that we we stop at that point of just, ah, forget, forget, you know, and we sort of like gloss over it. If a husband abuses a wife, yeah, the wife must learn how to forgive, but if it's a really bad case, move out to a safe place first. If a person is gambling, forgive, yeah. You've lost savings, you've lost, yeah, forgive, but put in financial controls. Go for counseling. Get yourself barred from, from the casino. It's not denial of sin. Oh, it didn't happen. It didn't, I, I just move on. It never happened. It's all right. That's not, uh, okay? That's not called forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is also not waiting for an apology or waiting for someone to be repentant. If you wait for that, uh, in Hokkien we say, Tan kuku. wait long, long. You don't wait for that. It's not premised upon that. It's premised upon God forgiving us that we can then forgive. Right? So don't have to wait for an apology. If you get one, praise the Lord. If you don't get one, praise the Lord still. Forgiveness is not so much about forgetting. I really dislike this line, forgive and forget. I personally dislike it. If you have come to that level of sanctification, please teach me. But I've spoken with women who have been disappointed by husbands. and It can be many years They're forgiven, but they still remember what has happened. You don't just have amnesia and like, oh, it's gone, it doesn't happen. No. Can you imagine if a mother loses, say, a child to someone who has murdered the son? And over time, she forgives the murderer. Can she ever forget that her son has died? No. And so this line, forgive and forget, I find it's a very dangerous line. Of course, some people will say, oh, but God has thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. Well, God is God and we want to follow Him. But I believe it's better to ask God and say, will you heal me of this pain? Because the memory can be there to teach us and for us to learn to also be stronger and also to grow from that point on. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel the pain. It will take time to heal. And for some, it can take quite a few years. Related to that then, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Have you tried? Forgive once. And then the next day, you think about it and you get upset again. And forgive again. And if you, you have to do it 70 times 7 times, then do it. If you have to do it 700 times 7 times, then do it. You see, the idea is not the number of times. and The point is... To obey and to just release, keep releasing. It's not a one time event. And I want you to be real and to be honest and to be authentic because if you tell yourself it's a one time thing and it's still not done, and you have not dealt with that fully, then you feel really upset about it, you feel condemned, and you give up trying to do something like that. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. If a child is molested, call the police. If something is wrong, report it. I mean, there are authorities. God has set authorities in place. We thank God and praise God that we have a government that is lawful. So it's okay to to seek a recourse in that. Now, whether you really want to do that or not, of course, you you pray about it and you see whether you're on press charges or you don't want to do that. But it does not always mean that you do not seek justice. Forgiveness is not trusting immediately again and not necessarily reconciling so automatically. See, a woman can forgive the husband for certain things, but if trust has been betrayed, then trust needs to be earned once more. And speaking to the ladies, I can can feel their pain. And yet, speaking to the men, I can understand it because we guys sometimes are a little bit dense. And I can say that because I'm a guy. But for us, it's like, I say sorry already, how many times do you want to say sorry? But for the lady and for the woman, the trust has been betrayed. That's how deep that hurt has gone. And so it's not helpful for the man to keep saying, but you have to, but you forgive anyone. I say, I'm sorry, what? Why must you be like this? That takes two, I agree. You know? But we, we need to understand one another. Reconciliation takes two parties. One party might, might want to reconcile. The other party might not want to reconcile. What are you going to do with it? And there are many couples who, who break up because of that. And there are many friendships that have been broken because not, both, not all parties are seeking reconciliation. But it does not mean that you cannot forgive. It is the ideal that we would trust again and they will, we will reconcile. But that's not always the case. Okay, these are very real situations because it's not just so black and white and so easy. There are many, many gray areas that we encounter in ministry and in counseling, and you know what I mean. Forgiveness is to cancel. That's what the word means. It's to cancel. It's a debt that is there, and you say, okay, fine, let me cancel this debt. Let let me set you free. I won't hold it against you anymore. Let me set this free. I'll pardon you. I'll show some favor, and I'll pass over it. And if we want to understand forgiveness, this first point is so critical. You can't move to forgiveness without understanding this well for yourself. We base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. I think by this time, you have heard me say it over and over again. God is the one who has made the first move. And we have been forgiven by God. So whenever you say, I'm hoping to forgive someone, preface that with one line. God, as you have forgiven me, help me to forgive this person. If you only start with, I know I have to forgive that, that's a bad place to start. Because we tend to forget how God has forgiven us. So if you want to move on forgiveness, please base it on what God has done for us. And friends, don't minimize the work of the cross. You see, for many of us, we're not not, uh, bank robbers, right? We're not murderers. But we're all sinners. And if we think we're not that bad a sinner, then what we have done is that we have minimized the work of Jesus upon the cross. And after we do that, then we will say, oh, because I'm not that bad, your sin bigger than mine, you know. God didn't have to forgive me so much so I don't have to forgive you that much. Can you see the problem here? We've got to always go back to the cross. However big or small your sin might have been, it was the life of Jesus that was given for us. It was the blood that was shed. Amen? And we have to base our forgiveness on that first before we can look to wanting to forgive others. And as we lay that as a foundation understanding what forgiveness is, first, let's look at it as a command. Remember, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So it is a command. Forgive. Paul says, look, I'm telling this to you. Forgive. You already have an example, so forgive. Now, we don't like this word command. It sounds so harsh. But you realize that in the Bible, when God says, look, I've given you my laws for your good. God's laws and God's commands are always for our good. So when you look at the commandment, you're going to say, okay, Lord, you're commanding me because if you don't tell me, do it, I probably will not. It is a command. It is for our good. It is for our well-being. It's for our freedom. It's for our life. It's for our prayers that will be unhindered and we are to obey. And I can tell you, it will start that way. Many times, Lord, I, I don't want to forgive. I'm giving you my own personal experience, okay? Because I know some of you don't struggle like me. I don't want to forgive. But because it's a command and I want to obey you, I'll do it, Lord. You help me. It's a command. But as much as it is a command, it is also a choice. Because you can sit here and you say, don't want. Just like that servant, he refused. You can choose to harden your heart. You can choose to stand in your position and say, nope, nope, why should I do this? It is a choice. And I appeal to you, choose life. Choose well, Because it's a good command. It's for our good. But I like the third one as I came to a realization of it. Do you know we forgive by faith? And we don't forgive by feeling. And this has helped me many times because if I go by my feeling. I won't forgive anyone. I don't feel like it. Right? But if I believe, that's what faith is all about, right? That the command is a good command. That it is for my good. And I believe by faith of what Christ has done for me that I can now do this, that I do this, Christ will release it because He says, if you will confess your sins, walk in my ways, it will all be done. I do it by faith. Knowing that God will work a forgiveness in my heart. And God will bring the situation to a point where it will release me from that pain or that stress. And He will enable me by His strength and by His Holy Spirit. So if you are struggling with unforgiveness, as everything we do in our Christian world, by faith, forgive by faith. Say, what well, can I that one, man? Can. By faith. Because the moment you do that, grace comes. You understand? Grace comes. It's always, like, it's always by faith that you may be according to grace that the promise is certain. You want the grace of God to flow in that life of yours. Then you just say, Lord, I believe. I don't understand this, Lord. I just do it by faith. I trust you. It's good. I don't understand it. I don't feel it, but it's good. And be careful of the hindrances because you, you will go through all these thoughts The pain of offence, right? It's very painful. We all get hurt. The presence of pride. I don't care how humble you say you are. We want to preserve our face. Although nobody sees it when we pray quietly and say, Lord, I forgive and I release. Well, with God, you also want to keep your face. The presence of pride in our life. Because if you want to release, I tell you what, it requires grace. And it's a posture of humility. You'll find yourself struggling because you want to defend your rights. I said, Lord, look, you don't have to defend your rights. Because as a servant of God, God defends your rights. Lord, why should I lose my rights? God is saying, look, you have no rights. Your rights are with me. It's hidden with me in Christ. So what are you talking about right? Let it go. Because at the end of the day, God will be the ultimate judge. He will make sense of everything. In the meantime, your part is to obey, your part is to choose wisely, and your part is to live by faith and forgive. And you and I know also, if we refuse to forgive and we are unable to forgive, it also shows us where our level of spiritual maturity actually is. Because our security is not in Christ. Our security is in ourselves and our rights and everything that we want to have. And we also realize that the fruit of the Spirit, as you know the aspects, love, joy, peace, one of which will be meekness. It's not weakness, right? Some we think, oh, to forgive means to be weak, you know. Why should I be weak? I've got to be strong. No, no, meekness is strength. But you know that there's a gentleness in that strength that you can administer that you're able to release. There's a very famous quote by Mahatma Gandhi and he said it this way, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. A lovely line. It's a very lovely line. Very wise saying. So as we conclude, let me warn you again, beware the dead trap. Sometimes we look at all the other things, huh, we spiritual warfare, everything. Huh, and then we forget that our hands are actually in the jar or in the cage holding on to offence, you know. And then we are trapped by these things unaware. I believe this one verse, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I hope that as I've shared this with you, you agree with me. I believe it's still relevant eh? I believe it's relevant. You just need to add that little parenthesis behind, you know. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors as you have already forgiven us. We learn from your example. And so Lord, now, See how well I do. I want to grow, Abba Father. And the moment we pray that prayer, a lot of offence comes. But don't worry about praying that prayer because whether you pray or not, offences are already there. We have enough opportunities to practice this. Just a couple of months ago, a visiting couple who are trained in inner healing, um, restoration ministries, Uh, They came by our church and they've always been a a great asset and a great blessing to our community back in our home church. And so this time as they came by, they opened up again prayer slots for us to sign up for. And as someone in full-time ministry, I just felt the nudge to sign up. And I went for this counselling, as it were, you know, uh, prayer ministry, just to talk things out. And I want to tell you and share with you why I decided to do that. Because being in the ministry, teaching about these things, preaching about these things, giving counsel to others, I know the right things to say. I know exactly what I need to do. And it can be very dangerous at times because I think I know what I need to do, I know what to do, and I know what to say, but I could deceive myself into thinking that I'm okay when actually I'm not. And you can deceive yourself because um, you sort of justify and you rationalize a lot of times. And so I went for this ministry and I signed up for this. And in the opening discussion, he was asking me, So, okay, so what's, your, what's the main thing? Why, why do you sign up for this? And this was the one line that I wrote in my application form. And I said this to the brother that was seated opposite me. And I said, I don't want to have anything blocking me or holding me back from all that God has for me from fulfilling my kingdom assignments. That's my desire. Because in the work of the ministry, and not just here, but you too, I think you experienced this. We've all been hurt. We've all been let down. We've all been sidelined. We've all heard things said about us, against us, behind our backs. It was nothing different for myself also. It happens also in the work of the ministry. And consciously, I've been saying, Lord, okay, I forgive this person. I forgive this person. I forgive this person but I just want to be sure, you understand? I, I, would, I don't want to have anything blocking me at all. And if I, if I, if I need a brother to look at me and say, you, do you know something? You're just saying it by rote. Uh, you're just saying automatically, but it's not really from your heart. Then I want to hear it from him. I said, it was a nice two hours of just talking and he was just digging a little bit more deeply and all that. And then we just prayed. He says, well, if you've you prayed forgiveness, he said, will you pray it again? I said, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I, I will do that. Help me. And I prayed to release once more. And I pray to let go once more. I tell you, it's an exercise that you and I will have to go through over and over and over again. I don't want to leave any stone unturned. This is how important it is for me because it's not about having my rights or having my, my, my position or having myself vindicated in this area. It's about me wanting to fulfill what God has for me and I don't want to have anything block me in this way. As we close, let me just share a little account from Corrie Ten Boom's life. Corrie Ten Boom herself, she told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. She had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident and so she couldn't sleep. Finally, Cory cried out to God for help in putting the problem to rest, and His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor. Cory wrote, "To whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks." And so this pastor told her, up in the church tower is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the guy lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, and then slow and slow until there's a final dong and then it stops. And he said, I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. That when we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we have been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised that the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They are just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be there were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations. That's what Corey Tambum wrote. But the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often and at last stopped altogether. We can trust God not only above our emotions but also above our thoughts. And so if you are choosing to forgive and you say, Lord, I forgive and tonight we can pray that after this. And tonight when you go back to sleep, you say, but Lord, I pray, you know, how come I, all these things take care me. These are the ding-dongs. Don't call the person who hurt you the ding-dong, huh? But these thoughts, you know, these things, it's just, it's that, that, but you have let go of that rope, but it keeps going, right? But it slows down. It will get better and better. And I believe this is God's healing process for all of us who are willing to forgive. So as we close, let me leave you with one line. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But in the context of our Keeper's Awakening, where we desire to be on kingdom assignments, let me just say to you that you can't put your hand on the plow if it's still hanging on to the rope. Let's make a decision this evening. Let's choose to release that rope so that our hands can be on the plow of our kingdom assignments, that we may never look back and that we will be faithful disciples for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Scripture. I thank you, Lord, for your Word that is always relevant, O oh Lord. Lord, You have shown us through Your Word that the teachings of Jesus, Lord, they're all consistent. Nothing is wrong with it. What is wrong is the way that we have seen it, the way that we have tried to understand it. But Lord, we go back to what is important. You made the first move. You made the first move, Lord. You forgave us our sins. You release our debts, Lord, by Your grace. We deserve nothing, Lord. We deserve death, but Jesus took our place. And Lord, you say that as you have forgiven us, we are to follow in that same example, in the footsteps of Jesus. And so, Lord, we are to forgive others as you have forgiven us. And so, Lord, tonight that's what we're going to do. And we believe that as we do that, you will release us even from all things that hold us back and especially the traps that we have set for ourselves. And so say, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this understanding. But help us, Lord, because we know that we hurt, we have, we, we have pain, we have all our thoughts, we rationalize. But Lord, we choose to put at one side. We will choose to release because you have forgiven us. And so we thank you, Lord, even for those that are listening in. I pray, Lord, that you will help them too in the same way. Give us grace and give us strength.